Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we are back for another week of training camp practice here in South Philadelphia as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 189. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where once again, C-Mac, Ben Fennel, and I are back in the saddle, breaking down what we saw today at training camp practice, the fourth for the Eagles so far in the 2019 season. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, guys, let's just jump right in. Uh, initial takeaways from Monday practice. We had off on Sunday, so we had for our first padded practice Saturday, off Sunday, back at it this morning, 9.15 start time. Uh, C-Mac, I'll start with you. What was uh, your big takeaway walking off the field today? I'll take It wasn't necessarily my big takeaway, but I know it's the one that's going to be most discussed, and everyone has been champing at the bit to see Carson Wentz and Deshaun Jackson have that deep connection, and we saw it on a couple of occasions here during Monday's practice. And something that Ben's brought up on the podcast previously is, I think you may have even mentioned too, Frank, in your notes, is that more and more we're seeing Carson communicating with the receivers in between plays, doing a lot of film study uh, in the meeting rooms after practice is over. There's just a lot more communication going on with Carson. And I had said this on the last episode of the podcast because I felt like it was going to become the big storyline. And it was like, look, it takes time to develop. Ben said it perfectly. It takes time for that chemistry to develop. It's going to come. Deshaun is such a unique, special player that Carson has not had in his fourth you know, season, going into his fourth season in the NFL. So it's taken time to develop it. There's no concern on my end whatsoever. I don't know if people were starting to get alarmed, but we saw examples of it today. And again, we're seeing Deshaun used in a variety of ways. It's not just like he's going to go run a go route or fade route every single time to stretch the defense. He is much more than a vertical threat. He's being moved around the formation. There was a play earlier in practice today where he was a little pre-step motion action, and Carson got him the ball quickly, and he had a big gain up the left sideline. You're going to see varieties of plays like that from Deshaun, I think, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, I think that's why, I mean, we said this uh, last week at the start of camp, this isn't going to be a discussion every day where we're going to go overboard with overreactions to everything that we saw. you got to kind of temper things and take it day by day. And, you know, the other podcasts may have looked at Saturday and said, oh, what are, what are the Eagles going to do? They, they brought in Deshaun Jackson. They couldn't connect on a deep ball. Two days later, all of a sudden, there's four or five deep balls and everything's okay. Yeah. you got to let things go and look at it from a big picture standpoint. Uh, that, well, that said... It was pretty impressive. There were a few really impressive throws. So one was right in front of Ben and I on the sideline. Yeah, exactly. Deshaun Jackson, you see the chemistry, whether it's the deep balls, but it's some of the intermediate throws that are even more impressive, yeah. just being on the same page against zone coverages, knowing where to throttle down, where to lead the receiver away from coverage, or even on a comeback route where the timing has to be perfect because the quarterback's typically letting that rip before you get out of the break. They were uh, you know, off a couple days ago. They completed one today, right on cue, perfect timing, location, anticipation. And then that deep corner route right in front of us, away from the two defenders, right into the bread basket. We were talking about the deep verticals. They take time to build the chemistry, knowing how you like the trajectory to come in, a little flatter, a little deeper. Where do you like to lead the receiver? Do you put it on him over to the sideline? 
That ball was right in front of us, an absolute perfect throw. Right over the defender, right out of where only Deshaun could get it to, to kind of throw that in there. I was going to save the story for a little bit later, but it happened on this play. So Deshaun catches that pass, it runs into the you know into the group of fans right on the sideline there, yeah. uh, you know, and then he makes his way back to the huddle. On the as he gets out of bounds and through the the group of fans there, uh, a little kid goes over, goes to give him a high five, and Deshaun gives him a big high five because yeah. it's like oh you know. Got, so the little kid was. I, I we're sitting there watching practice, and it was early on. And I hear this. I hear this kid talking, and he's like, you know, talking about oh, they just moved the running back out wide. Like now they're in empty. Watch this kind of route, or watch for this kind of route. And I look over, and it's the you know nine year old, nine ten year old kid. And I go to his dad, and I was like, you got, you got a smart fan over here. His name, <laughs> so his name was Ethan. His dad was Jeff, and he's telling me stories about how Ethan, uh, you know, he'll come into his room late at night, and there's Ethan setting up his uh, like the bobbleheads and like the figurines and stuff, creating his own plays. Like really? just, uh, this kid is is money, and it just reminded me reminded me <laughs> of me at a young age. I loved this kid. It was it was it was outstanding. So uh, I know he listens to the show every day. Oh really? So I said I, uh, we're going to give Ethan a shout out. Today oh, gotta give podcast. him a shout out. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I love that. So uh, like the we, next generation of fans. That's, right that's there. right. I thought you were going to say it was uh, Francis the Fourth. Well, no, that, I hope I hope so in a few years. But uh, no, Ethan. So Ethan got to, to uh, high five Deshaun. He got to see Mike Quick after practice today. It was a, a good experience for him. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I love that play that you mentioned actually early in practice. By the way, with Deshaun, uh, that it was a quick screen went to yep. him and broke off a big play. Jason Peters out in front, uh, showing the athleticism that he still has uh, out in front, creating some big plays. I think we got to see the athleticism of the tackles collectively throughout practice, whether in the pass game on the screens. You saw a lot of movement from the tackles in the run game. Yeah, Just watching the young guy, Andre Diller, Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, Jordan Malata, some very unique athletes at yep. the tackle position for the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. So we saw a number of deep balls from Carson Wentz. We saw a few throws where he just ripped it between multiple defenders uh, on a couple of those plays. I know he hit one uh, to Dallas Goddard. He hit one to uh, Deshaun. He hit one to Alshon late in practice where between two or three defenders ripped one through. I know you and I uh, commented on that a couple of times today. You know, and just a collective thought about training camp and the Eagles offense. Training camp, the play designs and the playbook is fairly small you have 90 guys a lot of new players out there you're running twos threes four groups of you know uh of lines you know just having the starters and the backups third string fourth strings so it's just really interesting to see the same plays run over and over but out of different formations and whether it's deshaun alshon jj arcega whiteside Ertz, goddard these guys line up all over the offense but you start to see the same plays, and like we're talking about those balls ripped in the middle of the field. Mm. It's pretty much the same route, but a variety of different players running those routes. So you see the same concepts over and over, just out of different packages with different players. And it's really cool offense just to watch the interchangeable parts. And for fans that uh, don't, don't know how that all kind of works, basically what happens, and we see it throughout the course of practice, there are those installation periods. And uh, basically what happens in those periods is the team on offense is going to be, they're going to work off to one side, the defense is going to the other side of the field. And they're really you know, installing what they're going to work on in live action later that day. And then they're probably not going to touch it again for the next few weeks, so, you know, throughout the course of camp. So you're installing something different each day and working on that specific thing each day. And now when it's week four and you need this blitz or it's week three and you need this pan co- pass concept to beat cover two, hey, you know, we, uh, day 11 of training camp, this is when we installed it. Now we go back. We've got the playbook. We've got the, uh, the, the film from practice. Now let's get it into this week's practice. But it's professional football. So even though we're trying to run a concept, 
we're not just coming out with the same look, the yep. same place, the same formation every single snap because the defense would know what to expect. So you're still mixing up the looks, mixing up the formations, the personnel, the concept and the the theme of the play may be the same, but you're going to obviously run it out of different looks, formations, and just keeping that defense off balance. And the offense will try and run different, you know, the same run play against, like you said, different looks. They might run it. Oh, we, we haven't seen it yet against this kind of blitz. What does it look like against A-gap pressure? What does exactly. it look like against a yep. four-man rush or a three-man line? They'll try and mix things up over the course of the summer. How about seeing a little 13 personnel? Yeah, we saw some of that today. Yep. I know uh, everyone's talking about how are the Eagles going to implement Dallas Goddard this season. Will we see more 12 personnel, which... It's tough because they already run 12 more than any team right. in a league, but 13 personnel out there on the field, and the, and the Eagles have the horses to do it. That's yeah, actually I, the impressive aspect. I remember there was the game against the Colts last year. There was a bunch, there was a bunch of injuries. The injuries had to do with it, but they were in 13, like a uh, bunch of the game. It was week three. It was Carson Wentz's first start, um, you know, and they spent a lot of time in 13 personnel. To me, if you're going to be a tight end-centric offense— You've got to be able to run thirteen. You, you've got to be able to, you know, have that depth there because, you know, if something happens with Zach or with uh, with Dallas Goddard mid game and he's going to miss a few series, you don't want your offense to skip a beat. You want to be able to say, all right, you know, Richard Rodgers or you know Perkins or uh, you know Will Ty, whoever that next man up is, they've got to be able to step in and keep things going. And just a reminder that as exciting as twelve personnel and thirteen personnel are, and it seems like we're hearing twelve personnel a little bit more. These are staple concepts that won them a Super Bowl two years ago. Exactly. The involvement of Trey Burton, which got him a huge free agent contract in Chicago, was a major part of the offense. So having multiple tight ends on the field is nothing new and something you're going to expect every week from the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Could we potentially? I've been thinking a lot about this with Ertz and Goddard. Cause Do- Goddard by the way, I saw a Dallas Goddard jersey in the crowd today. Nice. Starting to see a couple more of those, yeah? Yeah. He's, so he's earned it. It's a good investment. Good investment right there. Long-term investment. But... I'm wondering, could we just see more 11 personnel with, with Goddard, Goddard as I think the so. tight end yeah, and maybe so. ease the workload off of Zach Ertz? Not that you're yeah. trying to get Zach Ertz off the field, but if ultimately you want to get these guys to be their freshest in the final quarter of the season going into the playoffs, certainly Goddard can you know, keep the offense rolling so there's not a drop-off while giving Ertz a chance for a breather. You know, and there's a bit of a change in the guard. Obviously, Trey Burton going in free agency two years ago, Brent Selleck now retiring. So that third tight end spot's kind of a work in progress. Who's it going to be? Is it you know Dallas Goddard going to be the primary tight end? Look out for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. It's kind of a unique skill set. He could play inside. He plays outside. He plays some slot roles, even being a heavier receiver. I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him running some of those Trey Burton routes and isolating some matchups as well. So before we get into the defense in general, uh, we all kind of, it wasn't a ton of one-on-ones today. I know, C-Mac, you were over at O-line, D-line mm-hmm. one-on-ones. There were some uh, some half-line stuff as well, some skelly where it was two receivers versus two defensive backs. I watched the uh, running backs and tight ends match up with the linebackers and safeties. I thought we could kind of share our thoughts on, on those smaller periods before we moved over to the defense. What did you course. see for the O-line, D-line, C-Mac? The first matchup, which was the heavyweight showdown I would say was Lane Johnson going against Brandon Graham okay. and I thought Lane Johnson did a great job of making sure that Brandon Graham couldn't get his hands into his body mm. it was tremendous hand fighting you know 
right there from the jump, you could see Lane be able to mix and match and make sure to swipe away everything that Graham had so that Graham wasn't able to uh, win the leverage and to get the snap so or win the rep there. So I thought Lane Johnson did a great job off the bat there. Uh, going through, you know, what I like seeing from Josh Sweat, he had a nice rip move uh, going against one of the rookie free agent offensive linemen. But the right. thing with that is you're seeing the development of his tool set, yeah. his toolkit. You want to see that develop because yeah. obviously he has the athleticism, but does he have, you, know, you guys talk about a lot, a pass rush plan. Yep. Does he know what to do to be able to get to the quarterback? Uh, Jordan Maialata, very interesting uh, series where I'm trying to think who he's, who he's going up against, but he was. He's primarily played right tackle yeah. all the spring. So during the one-on-ones, he was moved back to left tackle. Okay. Mm. And it was against Deshaun Hall. And Deshaun Hall broke his ankles. He set him up mm. outside and went right inside. And Maialata wasn't able to move back. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if Maialata had has become so comfortable or adjusted to right tackle. And yeah. you might be thinking, like, tackles tackle like it's no tough it's, to, it's footwork tough to make switch, yeah. you know that now he has to you know get used to going back to the left side and then they gave him another rep and he did much better the second time mm. around so th- those were some those were some of the highlights um trayvon hester um i thought had a, had a nice move uh going as matt Pryor, uh working inside of him there mm. trayvon hester we talk about who's gonna be that fourth defensive tackle um you know, Malik Jackson's looked great in camp so far. Obviously, Fletcher Cox and Tim Jernigan also mm. bringing energy to practice. But you, you need that fourth guy. Who's it going to be? Because there's Bruce Hector. They trade for Hassan Ridgeway. So, uh, you know, that's one of those battles. It's not going to be glamorous. But yeah. I think as camp goes on and we get away from some of the bigger storylines, that's a battle. It's a battle yeah. to talk about. Uh, ben, what did you see from the uh, the receivers and DBs? They did kind of like that half-line skelly. Yeah, really quick, just with the D linemen. You know, Deshaun Hall's an interesting player. He's in his third yes. camp now. He's been on a couple teams. Former You'll third-round forget, pick. Yep. He played opposite of Miles Garrett down there at Texas A&M. So, you know, he... Had some ability and some pass rush savviness uh, coming into the NFL. Obviously, I'm not sure there's a spot for him on this team, but he gives some very competitive reps. I was on, a big fan of his on the out. second, third, and fourth string uh, sets. And yep. you know, just watching practice out there, you see this guy kind of jump, yeah. you know, here and there and make some splash plays. And he definitely has some ability. Uh, but moving over to the uh, receivers and the DBs, they were working kind of half field, seven on seven. Yep. Not with running backs. It wasn't one-on-ones. It wasn't seven on seven. It wasn't true half field. It was like two and three-man route combos. Exactly. Yep. It was yep. working on route combos, you know, playing two over three coverages and things like that. And the period started off with Rasul Douglas once again, big interception going out down the field against Alshon Jeffrey, running a post route. The ball hung out to the outside just a little bit. Rasul made the play nice. after having several big plays on Saturday against Alshon once again, just playing much more confident, faster, seeing that ball in the air and attacking it, playing much more confident and savvy uh, comparatively to the last couple of I mean, He's of getting camps, all first-team reps so far yeah. because Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills have been out. So, I mean, that's that's been good for him. Exactly. And just the quarterbacks and just kind of reading the zone coverages and understanding where to place the ball, the receivers being on the same page, knowing where to saw your routes off, where they like to place that ball away from the defenders. So the chemistry is still a bit of a work in progress with Sudfeld and Thorson and even when Cody Kessler gets in there. Uh, but just really interesting to see kind of the chemistry build throughout the summer. Uh, I was over watching the running backs and tight ends take on the linebackers and safeties. Again, kind of two-man route concepts. It wasn't one-on-one. So, uh, you know, the tight end and the running back would run a route. You have a linebacker and safety match up. 
I'll throw a couple reps in there in the, uh, the for the practice notes in the article, but uh, the one rep that for sure stood out to me, I want to say it was the third snap. It was uh, Kamu Gruje Hill matched up on Darren Sproles in coverage. Uh, Kamu jammed him up really well at the line of scrimmage. Sproles fought through it, really ran a really nice arrow route. Kamu matched him step for step. It was a great play by Kamu. But the ball was perfect. I want to say it was Sudfeld, and, and Sproles made a great catch in traffic. Wow. So uh, it was a really well, com- a really competitive rep between those two guys, and, and Sproles came out uh, with the uh, with the catch. I just want to touch on Gruje Hill because w- if we go to defense, he'd probably be the guy along with Rasul Douglas who I would want to spotlight mm. because there was a team period where Gruje Hill came on a blitz and got a sack, and I said some time to spend with Gruje Hill because he's looked at to be. One of these guys who needs to take the next step here in 2019. And he said that he's ready for the moment. Mm. He wants to prove that he belongs as a defensive player in this league. And he's taken that natural progression where he made his way into the league on special teams. All right, became a special teams captain and a role player on defense. Now he wants to be an impact player on the defensive side of the ball. And I know you've talked about this, Fran, now. He's like the prototype for the modern linebacker because of that ranginess and coverage ability. But he said that the chemistry in the linebacker room is great. He knows that there's a lot of naysayers among Eagles fans who say linebackers, you know, a weakness on on this team. And he's Mm. like, we've we've got the talent. Mm. We can't wait to show it. And mind you, Nigel Bradham, who arguably is their best linebacker, is not out there in the team drills just yet. Mm-hmm. So um, before you go through the rest, I just wanted to spotlight Gruje sure. Hill just uh, because overall I think he's had a very strong camp. He had a big interception return for a Saturday. touchdown against Wentz on Saturday. Yep. So uh, just wanted to throw some love. Well, we're so well. used to kind of picking out matchups and battles in camp, and it's so often a wide receiver in a corner or a left tackle and an edge rusher. One of the more entertaining battles has been Carson Wentz in linebacker Kamu Gruje Hill. Yeah. We saw the really nice pick on Saturday. Wentz loves to work over the middle of the field to the tight ends, a lot of crossing routes. That means you really have to start to manipulate those underneath defenders. And Wentz is getting very savvy with his eyes, setting up windows, anticipating throws. And there was a couple throws today where Kamu thought he was in good uh, yeah, position. Right. Yep. And Wentz just fired that ball in, manipulated with his eyes, anticipated windows. And you just see the reaction after the play by Kamu knowing he was in good position, but Wentz made the throw anyways. Kind of a sneaky little competition back and forth throughout camp. You don't really think quarterback-linebacker is a battle to watch for, but has been one of the more entertaining matchups. You like uh, you like watching for the hand clap? You know, who, who That'll always clap. tell you who messed up after a play. <laughs> Defenders love to, or even offensive linemen, if they missed a blocking assignment, right. the guy that claps his hands after the play will let, usually let you know who messed up. Um, so going to the defensive line, I would say for me, honestly, my big, my number one takeaway from today, this was a D line day. Like I, I thought in the run drills, uh, there were a couple big runs today. You know, Sproles had one, Howard had one, Miles Sanders had one in, in his one team period that he was really active in. Overall, I thought the defensive line was really, really active. You know, Malik Jackson, um, you know, Vinnie Curry was active once again. Brandon Graham got into the backfield a number of times. I thought the defensive line was really, really strong in the in the team periods in the eleven on eleven action. I'm really excited to see this group take the field this year. You know, there's there's been some turnover, obviously, um, but with new faces and some young guys looking to step up, uh, this is going to be a really, really fun group to watch. I thought Vinnie Curry. You know, there was a play where Vinnie Curry and Tim Jernigan collapsed the. The pocket to uh, get Jordan yep. Howard in the backfield before he could get get any momentum going. Um, 
I agree completely, though. It's, you know, going back to the depth of defensive tackle, Jernigan brings a lot of energy to practice on a day-in, day-out yep. basis. Same with, with Vinnie Curry, and that's something, you know, when it's humid and it's 90-plus degrees, and, you know, it's we're getting into the, the slog of mm. training camp where it's not new anymore and your body's getting tired, you're getting some aches out there, and, you know, you're not maybe getting as much rest as you need to, mm. so it's, it's a struggle out there. You need guys who bring the juice day-in and day-out, Jernigan and Curry, two guys who do that. And seeing some of these guys in the system for several years now, whether it's Brandon Graham or Lane or Timmy Jernigan, you just see guys that are very confident out there. They trust what they're doing. They trust themselves. They trust the scheme, the coaches. There's no more of this feel-out period on whether I belong, like Brandon Graham's first couple years or whether Doug Peterson's system works. What they have going on works. We've seen it work. The players trust it. Some of the players are trusting themselves. And just to see everybody... Kind of just playing freely out there yeah. is a really refreshing kind of sight. Well, you talked the other day about how, you know, just seeing it with Avante Maddox. You exactly. Know, in his yeah. second year, how much more confident he looks. Right, because he knows he belongs now. It's not like, oh, I hope there's a spot for me on this team. I hope the speed of the game isn't too too much for me. You're just seeing guys trusting the system, trusting the coaches, believing in themselves. They've seen it work. They've seen success on the field. And to see it out in camp and practice, it's really making everybody better. And just the battles like Lane Johnson and Brandon Graham's that's the iron sharpening iron. That's a pro bowler versus a pro bowler. It's just great to see them kind of as established veterans, quality players in the league battling each other. I mean, that's the cream of the crop right there. That's what training camp's all about and watching those players battle. Well, you bring up Avante Maddox, and if you want to catch an interview with Avante Maddox, go check out the Eagles Live podcast this week with Dave Spadaro. He caught up with Avante and also another champion, and uh, Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors. Ooh. The Philly native was in, in the house this weekend, so Dave caught up with Kyle Lowry and Avante Maddox. Check that out this week on the Eagles Live podcast. Uh, staying in the secondary real quick, just quick takeaways before we, uh, before we leave, head out. Uh, Orlando Skandrick. Yes. Uh, ben and I were watching. We're like, oh, there's Skandrick. Let's watch him here on this play. Pass breakup. First play, a team period. It was on a shallow cross. It was a nice play. Yeah, working in second team nickel yeah. in the slot. And uh, if you haven't read Dave's on the inside column, he kind of went into the reasons for signing him. Obviously, injuries is a big component of yep. it. But also the fact that he's been one of the premier slot corners in the league. Experienced yeah. player, yeah. He's Experience. played a lot of snaps in that slot position, which is a very much a learn-on-the-job type of, type of role and. You know, having his veteran presence, whether he's there's a spot for him on the roster or not, I think is valuable. That's, and that's the thing. At the very least, he comes in, he pushes the guys because he has also outside experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, from last year in Kansas City, so he brings that element to the table. But you know, he's another guy who has had individual success in the league, but hasn't had mm-hmm. a lot of team success. So yeah. last year was probably his closest getting to the conference championship game. Was his close again to the conference championship game so uh i know our olivia schaller was in the uh huddle the uh media scrum after practice so we'll wait to hear her report on uh skandrick's thoughts about coming to philly but he's been you know a a wanted man here in the last couple days where i think minnesota had a workout for him so uh, i'm intrigued to see why he chose philly over some of the other options And it's exciting times to know that this is the team and the roster and the organization that people see as having a chance for that title and we know that Hey, they're pretty well built. That's a contender team right there. I want to be a part of that. It's pretty exciting times, you know, just to be a part of this organization. I uh, didn't ask anything else from uh, any of the post-practice media session. 
Uh, no, that pretty much covers okay. covers things on mine. I know Deshaun spoke a little bit about you know the chemistry with Carson and how it's developing. Carson, likewise, during his press conference, you know, spoke about just uh, you know taking that time in between plays to get on the same same page and just no, there's no panic. Okay, mm-hmm. they're both. Carson going to his fourth season. He's a veteran at this point. Deshaun in his twelfth season. He's a veteran. It's they know that it's going to take time. It's you know they're just working through things. Uh, before we head out, check out this week's Journey of the Draft podcast. Ben and I will be uh, breaking down the ACC, so the Atlantic Coast Conference, Clemson, and some of the other top teams in the country. Last week, we did the Big Ten, so if you are local to the Northeast, you're a Penn State fan, Ohio State fan, a lot of the top players covered uh, in that show, so make sure you go over, subscribe to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Alright guys, uh, I think that'll do it. We'll be back here tomorrow, another practice uh, to break down tomorrow afternoon. Join us next time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade.